This is Play-By-Play Cast. Is that faster than a greyhound? The podcast about play-by-play guys. For play-by-play guys, by I'm told, a play-by-play guy. It's a bold strategy, Cotton. Let's see if it pays off for him. Now here's the host of Play-by-Play Cast, Todd Bodet. <laughs> Wait, the Motel 6 guy? We'll leave the light on for you. No, Joel Godet. Joe Godet. Joel. Joe. Joel? Joel, with an L. Okay, here's your host, Joel Godet. Don't worry, nobody's listening anyway. Hey, welcome back in. It is another episode of Play-By-Play Cast, our 83rd. My name is Joel Godet. This is the podcast for Play-By-Play Broadcasters, about Play-By-Play Broadcasters, hosted by a Play-By-Play Broadcaster. It's a professional development podcast, diving into the tips, tricks, experience, stories, process, and preparation of some of the biggest and best Play-By-Play announcers in the business. Today's guest is Ann Schatz of the Pac-12 Network, and really a pioneer and trailblazer um, when it comes to broadcasting in general, but particularly uh, women in this field and uh, also women in play-by-play and uh, taking on that role. And uh, excited to to have that discussion um, with Ann coming up here in just a couple of minutes. House cleaning notes, as always, though, you can find us on social media at PXPCast. I am on Twitter at Joel Godet. You can always email me, jgod. E-T-T at bsu.edu. If you're new to the podcast, make sure you check out our previous 82 episodes with, I believe, 80 guests. 80 guests in 82 episodes. Uh, Rich Burke of the Pac-12 Networks, our most recent guest. Uh, good numbers on the Rich Burke episode from last week. So uh, thank you to those that caught that one. If you have not yet, uh, all our previous episodes are archived, dating back to uh, Carter Blackburn. At number one, uh, Brian Estridge from TCU was episode 81. Mike Breen of the New York Knicks was episode 80. Len Casper was episode 79, the television voice of the Chicago Cubs. You know, I said on this podcast last week uh, that Friday was a big day for me uh, personally. I was excited because my my computer has just updated. Uh, but I was excited then because uh, it was my first game on ESPNU. And my first game on that kind of a platform, which was fun for me. Um, but this week has just been awesome to breathe a little bit. <laughs> Had a uh, Ball State basketball game on the radio on Tuesday night. Have another one on the radio tomorrow night. Uh, both on the road, though. So I've been able to get out of the office a little bit. And, uh, you know, some good hotel time, um, which is always good. Uh, and it's just a little bit slower, I feel like, when you're on the road. Plus, this week I've only had two games. And part of last week... I had that that game with Detroit and Wright State on the U. It was it was part of six games in eight days for me. So uh, last week was absolutely bananas. Um, so this week has just been kind of cool, kind of relaxing. I, I have one game. I have two games next week. One game on Tuesday, and then I, I don't have anything else until till next Saturday. So uh, a good couple of weeks here to just kind of kick back a little bit. Uh, anyway, uh, you know those are always good. Uh, hopefully you guys. Uh, out there kind of get that opportunity from time to time recharge your batteries a little bit uh focus yourself a little bit um i know i i was able to do that on tuesday night and uh and and surge back out into the never-ending seasons uh that we all enjoy broadcasting um all right on to ann chats because her story is really cool and i'm i'm stoked that uh she was able to spend some time with us uh, on the phone uh, Ann and I actually go back, one of my first jobs out of college was as the women's basketball 
and baseball broadcaster at the University of South Florida. And at that time, uh, Ann was working for CBS Sports Network. I think it was CBS Sports Network. It might have been CSTV still, but my timeline is a little screwy. Um, and Ann called some Ball State women's, er, some uh, South Florida, pardon me, women's basketball games. She might have called some Ball State games. I, I don't know. I, I wasn't there at the time. Uh, <laughs> but she called some South Florida women's games um, when I was there. So we crossed paths, um, I don't know, about eight years ago now. Yeah, eight years ago now at this point um, in Tampa. And uh, we're able to reconnect. And this is one of the things I love about doing this podcast uh, just a couple of weeks ago when we when we did this pod. And uh, I was able to pick her brain about a lot of different things because Anne's career is super diverse. Uh, if you don't know anything about her, uh, yes, she does do play-by-play uh, in a variety of different sports for a variety of different outlets. But she began as a television sports on news anchor and reporter in a time when there weren't a lot of her and she'll get into it, uh, but began her career in Omaha, Nebraska, went to Portland, Oregon, and was the first woman in both of those markets to do sports on television and eventually made her way to the NBA where she did sidelines for the Portland trailblazers and then got into the play-by-play universe with college sports television and CBS sports network and, um, you know, uh, ESPN and the Portland Thorns and, um, you know, has done golf and has done soccer and has done softball and has just done a a ton of different things for a lot of different people. Uh, So I was excited to pick her brain about all of that. And at the end of this podcast, and it's particularly relevant, I think, this week because of the Golden Globes and Tanya Harding was in the news again this week, um, for better or worse, at the Golden Globes. Uh, Ann Schatz, being from Portland, covered Tanya Harding on her way up to the Olympics. And in 1994, Ann went to Lillehammer to cover the Olympics. She did not have a credential. Things went well enough. Got an interview with Tanya Harding. As a matter of fact, got the interview with Tanya Harding at the Winter Olympics in Lillehammer in 1994. Uh, if you listen to the whole conversation, you will get the the download on that. And I think uh, as much as I loved the other stuff we talked about with Anne, um, one of my favorite parts of the conversation, uh, you'll hear toward the end uh, about Tanya Harding. So stick around for that because um, not necessarily some play-by-play insight, but some good kind of journalistic, sports journalism, just journalism insight from Anne in regards to 1994. So uh, stick around. Good conversation here with Ann Schatz, who was our guest on episode 83 of Play by Playcast. To start way back when and, and kind of uh, it being groundbreaking in some respects, I think about that now a lot more than I did at the time. You know, I kind of bristled at um, folks saying you're a pioneer or you're breaking new ground because I just wanted to be a good, decent, viable, reliable sports broadcaster. I wasn't, you know, I didn't want the, the the rest of the tag attached to it. First ever female, only female uh, sports broadcaster. Uh, that I just thought, gosh, you know, I wonder if that's going to follow me around forever. And yet now I go back and I and I realize that that was exactly the case. Not not that I, you know, said to myself, I'm going to be the first or I want to be the first. It just happened that way. First in, in Omaha, Nebraska, where uh, I grew up and got my first job at the, one of the local affiliates. And then when I moved out to Portland, uh, Oregon, I was still 
you know, the first, the only. And now, of course, it, it's changed quite a bit. Um, but at the time, it, you know, I look back on now, Joel, it was, it was a really interesting time. And if I hadn't been surrounded by so many encouraging, open-minded people, I think it could have been kind of a negative experience. Instead, it was anything but. It, the folks made, the folks around me, from the athletes and coaches to my peers and colleagues, made it a pretty cool experience. But yet, I was still, you know, God, back then, Joel, I'd be the only female at practice. I'd be the only female in the locker room. I'd be the only female at a news conference. Uh, I mean, it, that was it. All the athletes, coaches, broadcasters, photographers, trainers, managers. I mean, everybody, every single one was a guy except for me. And it, it, it wasn't why I'd look around and think, wow, this is surreal. And yet, you know, I thought you better be on your toes, lady, because there are a lot of people waiting for you to fail. And you can't give them a reason to say, I told you so. And that, that kind of fueled my fire, too. How hard is that? I mean, it's, it's such a pressure to put on yourself. Um, how difficult is that to deal with? And, and how much did that just immediately make you better? Boy, there it is. Once again, Joel, you nailed it. That last part, that last part of the question made me so much better. I had to be better, Joel. I had to be better. I had to be better than you. I had to be better than Bob across the way. I had to be better than Tony, uh, you know, at the other station. I had to be better than all you guys because the little mistakes that I made were absolutely magnified by viewers um, and critics. They just couldn't wait for me to fail. If you got the score wrong, folks would say, oh, that Joel. <laughs> if I got the score wrong, it was, see, she can't handle it. You can't rely on her. She's not dependable. You have to always go back and, and, and mop up after her. I knew that each and every day, not once in a while, every day. But, but after you quit feeling sorry for yourself once in a while, which I was guilty of, you know, gosh, there's so much harder on me that, you know, after I quit all that nonsense, I realized I got to be better, stronger, faster, more nimble, more creative, more everything. And how could that not make me better? It did make me better. I was on notice all the flipping time. And initially, when I realized the scope of it, once in a while, like I said, I would be, whoa, my eyes would get big like dinner plates thinking that is a lot of pressure because I didn't want to screw up for the young women coming up behind me. If I dug a hole for them, God almighty, I, that that would have been unbearable for them. So I needed to be good for me. I needed to be good for some, some of the young women coming up after me. And while that was tough, it made me better. And when I quit moping once in a while and that got that out of my system quick, hey, I chose the profession. You know, you better be able to you better be able to stand up to a lot of criticism. You chose this. You went in eyes wide open. Come on now. Uh, so all in all, the experience made me that much better. You're spot on. When did it normalize? Um, and what was it like when it started to normalize in terms of mm. you not being the only women when you, woman when you looked around in the locker room or at practice? Yeah. It, boy, you noticed. I, I, it took a long time, and there still aren't as many on the local level as I'd like to see, aren't as many women. 
but you'd notice when there would be a writer or another uh, sports broadcaster that would be at practice or who would be, you know, in the locker room and you just, you just kind of want to reach out and grab them and say, welcome. I'm so glad you're here. I'm glad I'm not the only one anymore because, you know, you think about it, Joel, you could never, for many, many years, I could never call a female sports broadcaster and say, Hey Sue, the following just happened, blah, 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 blah. Yeah. Have you ever had to deal with that? Or what was that like for you? Or how did you just kind of handle that? You could never reach out to a, a to another female sports broadcaster and commiserate, swap notes, get advice from ever. Okay. Not ever. I could reach out to a lot of my colleagues, but they were always male and it was just a different dynamic. And once you could on occasion look across the room and see Another female there, especially one who you knew earned her chops, who you knew had to go through the same rigors, uh, there was a, a camaraderie and a bond and a relief to have some company, to be quite honest with you. A relief. So tell me how you got into it. What, when, when did the, the chip kind of set in your brain that said, <laughs> this is the path I'm going to go, and, and this is something I'm genuinely you know, curious of, of exploring? Yeah, Curious is a great word, um, and, I, and, I, and I love that word. You know, back in the day, Joel, as I said, so there were no women in front of me where I would say, I want to be just like Ann, or I want to be just like Sarah. There wasn't anybody. There weren't any Anns or Sarahs, not, not on the local level. But, you know, I, I grew up in, with, with three brothers and a dad, all of whom, well, most of whom were really dialed into sports. So... I learned a lot about sports from my dad and two of my three brothers. We played a lot. They were great. They played, they threw, they taught me how to throw correctly. You know, I'm right-handed, so throw off that left foot. They taught me how to shoot. They taught me how to move my feet, playing basketball. They taught me how to catch, playing football. I mean, I learned everything from them and was never discouraged by my dad or by my brothers to, hey, beat it. That's this isn't for you, not once. And my mom was a hundred percent into me just doing whatever I wanted to do. So, so when I was a little kid, I started playing sports. And then dad and I would read and my brother would read the box scores together. My dad would wake me up every morning to let me know how the Boston Celtics did. Hmm. That was my team. And, you know, back then there was no TV, it was all radio. I mean, in terms of the coverage. And so I I cut my teeth with my dad and my brothers. I played sports in high school and college, and I, I majored in journalism. And I remember when I graduated from college, when I graduated from Creighton, I thought, uh-oh, what the hell am I going to do now? I, I don't, I don't want to teach. I, I, I know a ton about sports. There aren't any women sports broadcasters. But my dad one day said, when I come home from work today, honey, I will – I will expect, I will expected, I will have expected you to drop your resumes off at all of the local affiliates. So when I come home, you're going to tell me all about it because you will have done that. And that was dad's way of saying, get your ass out there and start applying for work. I don't care if there aren't any openings, do it. And boom, the NBC affiliate didn't have an opening and it, but they hired me part-time anyway. And, uh, as a sports reporter, 
They buried me on the weekends. Smart call. If I was crummy, <laughs> well, you know, if I stunk, it wasn't going to hurt them. Yeah. If if I was good, it made them look really progressive, innovative. We're the first to ever have a sports, a female sportscaster, and that's how it all started. So, I was a kid growing up with with really active dad and brothers. They taught me how to play. They taught me how to to watch and the box scores and figure it all out. Then I continued playing in high school and college, and I kind of fell into this first job, and I never I've never turned back. How did you get good? Um, and what were maybe some of the early stumbling blocks for you, if you can remember back to it? And and what were the things that you did um, to kind of get over those and get to the point where you were confident that not only is this something that I'm going to pursue and be curious about coming out of college, but this is a legitimate path and, and mm-hmm. I can be a trailblazer and I, I can be good enough to hold my own. Yeah, you know, I, 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 I like to think that I was just smart enough to ask a lot of questions of the right people. And I realized right away in my first job with no experience besides a a college internship, I had no experience at all. And what I did was I just, I surrounded myself. I I sought out, you know, you you could tell the people that genuinely care about you, want you to succeed. So I not only found those colleagues in the newsroom, but they were also the people that could answer a ton of questions and they were very, very patient with me. And there were four or five people initially that just basically took me. This just couldn't be greener under their, their wings. And they answered every question. And they they never, you know, it was one of those deals where when, you know, I wouldn't ask the right questions in an interview or I would miss that, 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 that must ask question. And I, and I didn't ask it you know, I'm still learning the ropes, they would gently, instead of scolding me or making me feel small or shaming me, they would, they would take me aside. We would go into an edit bay. We would pop the tape into the machine. We would go through it. And then they would ask me questions that would help me understand what I need to do better, what I needed to do better and more correctly the right time. So, or the next time. So a lot of it was just asking a ton of questions trusting the right people and really soaking up all of the information they had to offer. You know, I've watched, I'd, I'd get a few years under, under my belt and I'd watch uh, college grads come in who thought they knew it all, never asked questions, thought they, you know, had it figured out and had their own style and couldn't be bothered with, with, uh, you know, the grizzled veterans, so to speak. And I, I, I don't know, I don't know what got into me in, in, in a good way, but I couldn't, I couldn't have asked more questions and I love the veterans and they showed me the way. So I learned a lot quickly. I had to, but I had a lot of people who were there helping me and almost kind of catching me before I screwed up badly. I had one major screw up. This was way back in the cave days when we were still using videotape, <laughs> and I know it. That's only that's and, only like uh, six years ago too. I mean, that, yeah, it's crazy like when that, you think about but, it. Yeah. <laughs> well, but it was one of those deals where you were editing your own stuff, and uh, you would hit preview while you were making sure that the edit was correct. You'd hit preview, and then you'd hit the take button. Oh, because we're talking I, about tape to tape too. Oh yeah. Oh okay. Yeah. yeah, yeah. 
<laughs> oh, I mean, cave days. And I remember uh, I left a black hole in a piece because I didn't hit hit the actual red edit button. I just kept it on preview and, and never went back and checked. So there it is. It hit the air with a 10-second black hole, which – and you know how that is. The mm. 10 seconds might have – it felt like 10 years <laughs> when I realized what I had done. It never happened afterwards, but it never should have happened to begin with. And that was lesson learned, and no one said a word to me. Not a word came down from on high. They didn't need to because I beat myself up uh, with that one for a long, long time. But that was my biggest screw-up on the air. When did you develop the the thirst for more, the thirst for other? And, mm-hmm. and you started doing, I know, sidelines with the Trailblazers, and then obviously uh, you got into the, the play-by-play and, and analyst yeah. world. Um, yep. When did you have that curiosity to say, like, hey, I like what I'm doing here, but where else can I stretch my boundaries? Yeah, that's a, that's a great question, Joel. And that's what you're doing right now as you continue, to, you know, you yourself stretching and growing. And, you know, that word curious comes up again and, and thinking, you know, I'm itching to do something. I wonder what that is. And I realized that I really needed to get out of the newsroom. And even though I'd go out on local stories and I'd go to games and I'd come back and do reports, I wanted to be on-site for games. And I realized that as I was working with the Trailblazers as their sideline reporter, and, and, and that just wasn't my thing. It was great to be a part of, um, you know, a great organization. My goodness, what wonderful people. But I, I, I wanted to be, I wanted to call the games. And you know what that's like. You know what a rush mm. that is to be a part of calling the game at the moment, that very moment where you got to nail it, just like the kids are nailing it. And when, when Fox Sports Northwest uh, started doing a few college games, I, I kind of I, I dipped my toes in those waters. But then CSTV, College Sports Television, opened up many, many years ago on the East Coast. And that turned into CBS College Sports when you and I met. And, and then, you know, that's kind of when, like, ESPN3 started and the college scene uh, really, really flourished. But... It was, Joe, I just needed to be part of that action at the moment with college kids. There, there was, there was nothing, there was nothing more special to me. I, I did three years with the WNBA when Portland had a team, which was so special, so special. And when Paul Allen pulled the plug on that franchise, I knew I had to get back and, and college was the answer to me. And I'm just having a blast. This might be similar to, uh, you know, the question I asked about getting better at, at just television, but uh, how'd you get good at doing play-by-play and exploring something new um, and a totally different skill set and saying, you know, now we're going to try this. Uh, what was it like learning to be a play-by-play broadcaster? Well, you, and, and I'd love to ask you and, and get your opinion on that too, as you continue to get better and better. We both continue to get better and better. Sure. I'd learn a lot from the really good analysts that um, that I worked with, you know, initially when I was doing this college sports scene, uh, I was I was a basketball and softball analyst. So I'd learn, I'd, I'd you know, I'd pay attention obviously to the play-by-play men and women, and and really kind of whether I knew it or not at the time, I really soaked up and soaked in a lot of what they were doing and how they did it. So unbeknownst to me, I was kind of learning a skill set and didn't even realize it until the uh, CBS college and then PAC 12 said, we'd like you to do play by play. And I thought, okay, it is a different skill set, totally different prep. Just it's, it's a, 
you're driving the bus instead of explaining why things are happening. And, and, and I really, I quickly figured out, God, I like this. I like this a lot. I like setting up my, my analyst partner and I love, uh, you know, kind of being the captain of the ship. And, and like I said, driving the bus and it took me, I think three or four years to really find a rhythm. Uh, you know, God, ants, quit talking so much. God, ants, <laughs> you know, settle down. Uh, I get so excited and, and I love what I'm doing so much. And, you know, you, you can't, you can't treat the first basket of the game. Like it just, you know, saved, saved the world from world war three. And so I had to learn with some real patient colleagues and, you know, and, and you know how it is, you develop your style as long as you can stay true to who you are and how you are, you know, it, it, you can, you can kind of find your niche pretty quickly. And, and that's what I've done. Well, uh, what'd you think when they said, and we want to give you a shot on the play by play side. It was smart on their part and really <laughs> smart on my part, not to dig in, you know, Joel, as we, as we've seen the last six, seven, eight years on the women's side, following the men's side, more and more ex coaches and former players want to be in TV, want to be in TV broadcasting and want to be in, want to be analysts and more uh, sports outlets are asking them to do just that. So it, I think it was really smart of the PAC 12 CBS college and, and smart on my part, not to, not to flinch. That was it, it. Had I, had I, you know, kind of said, nah, not really interested. I wouldn't be, I wouldn't be in, in a business today. It was the right move, the smart move. And as it turns out, the timing was perfect. Do you remember your first play-by-play assignment? Yeah, it was horrible. Um, <laughs> I, it was just horrible. Um, you can ask Debbie Antonelli. Oh, that poor woman. Um, it I mean, was they put smart. you with a good person for it though. Yeah. Yeah. And she couldn't even, Oh my God, obviously one of the best. It was at Marquette and I can't remember who Marquette was hosting. And um, I remember I was just awful. It, uh, if I gave myself a low C, it would have been, um, I would have been very lenient on myself. And I remember the crew went out afterwards for a sandwich and a, and a, a, a beverage. And we were about, I don't know, six, seven, eight blocks from the hotel. And it was, it was just, the, the snowstorm was unbelievable. And I was so upset with myself and I was so mad at myself that I remember walking back from the, from the bar to the hotel uh, without the proper gear, just not so much to punish myself, but I needed a uh, stern. I needed a little one-on-one time with myself. And I remember walking back to the hotel thinking you were horrible and th- there's nowhere to, no way and nowhere to go, but up and things got better after that. But my first game, Oh Lord, have mercy. It was bad, bad. What was bad? Oh, I just couldn't find rhythm. I couldn't find, I stepped on Debbie all the time. I, I just wasn't confident. You know, I could tell it was my first time. Sure. I, I, I stumbled. I wasn't, again, I wasn't confident and sure of myself. And so the first season I think was, was in a lot of ebbs and flows, some good, some bad, some pretty good, some pretty bad. And yet, you know, CBS college was really patient with me and the second year noticeable improvement. And I think I've just, continue to improve and, and feel pretty good about where I am. How does having been an analyst help you in terms of just yeah. knowing what, knowing how to use an analyst when you're doing it and knowing, you know, being on the other side, what, what you'd yeah. like to see from a play-by-play person. 
Yeah, you're, no, you're right. And, and what I'd also like to see from some analysts, too, in, in terms of uh, prep work and things like that to sure. help me out. Um, you know, the being an analyst and, and watching these really good play-by-play people do their thing, you'd realize that they would just welcome the analysts know-how and knowledge, bring them in, bring them in early, bring them in often, let them tell stories. Who cares if, you know, a, a layup is, is made or a couple of free throws are, are efforted and, and you don't talk about who made what, let them go. And, and the good ones know what they're doing and they know when to stop. And, and if they're a little green, you know, you, you steer them because you were once that green and they steered you. So it's, it's really easy and really fun um, to work with the good ones and also to work with the ones that are, that are just starting. I love it. I love when we get a chance to break stuff down before the game, after the game, the, the inquisitive ones, the hungry ones ask questions and, and you can tell, boom, we're that much better the second time around. Um, and being an analyst for, you know, four or five years really help me appreciate what the play-by-play person goes through. And and now it helps me understand a really good analyst when he or she does their homework and really, you know, dives in and does the, the necessary work beforehand so that I'm not carrying that heavy load by myself. And most of them are are so smart and savvy. They're doing their homework without anybody encouraging them to do it. And then they bring their A game and, and it's it's loads of fun. How's the prep different depending on which headset you're wearing? I, you mentioned that mm. earlier. Yeah, it, it, to me, it it's a lot different. But I got to tell you, I can't put down that analyst homework uh, <laughs> mentality. So I really want to, sorry about the barking dog. Um, I, I really want to make sure that I dig into these kids and 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 find out who they were in high school and where they are now. I love to dive in to stats that tell the story. Really, really appreciate, you know, when you look at a kid and go, hey, wait a second. Hmm. She's she's starting for the first time and how many points is she averaging? And then it's it, it's on me to go back and dive into where she came from. Freshman year, she played, you know, total of five minutes. I'm, I'm just looking at a kid for Washington who, just got, just got. Uh, she was a walk-on practice player from a teeny little town in in Colton, Washington, and uh, I think she had a total of five points going into this season. And uh, you know, she's just killing it. She's a captain. She got awarded the scholarship. She's a senior. She's starting point guard. I mean, she went from nothing to this. One of the greatest stories in the Pac-12 uh, of the Pac-12 season this thus far this season. And so it be you know I better not look at her stats this year and go oh, yeah well boy she's having a great year I better go back and see where that kid came from because that shines a light on what a special season she's having what a special season she I mean what a special kid she is for coming through the ranks the way she had to that's what an analyst does oftentimes and I st- I can't help it I got to do that it it it's so much fun for me to dig up the nuggets on these kids. So I think I'm still kind of wearing half a headset from each. What kind of conversations will you have? Will you, I mean, like how, how deep, like what's your deep dive? Like how much time are you spending on it? Who do you talk to? Um, or are there no ends that you, you will go to, to, to find out kind of what you want to find out and, and paint those good stories? Yeah. And, and you know how it is, Joel, you gotta, you, you prep as, as the season begins and then you always got to go back to your grids and update those notes and update those nuggets. You know, if the, 
if the media relations director for your respective schools are worth uh, their salt, True. you're going to get a lot of information from them, and and they he or she is going to help you and point you, in, you know, towards a lot of really good material. True. So you ask a lot of questions from those folks, and as you know, the head coach is going to be able to provide some nuggets too. So. Again, you've you've been on both coasts. I mean, you understand the relationships drive everything. Relationships with those media folks, media relations folks, relationships with your coaches, where you're trustworthy. You you know they respect you enough to tell you stuff off the record that you would never, you know, you would never divulge. That kind of stuff helps you. And then your own curiosity. You use that word, and it was so perfect. Your own time and your own curiosity to dig some things up. You better stay on it because those kids deserve that. What is a, and you've, you've touched on, you've answered this a, a little bit already, but I want to take a deeper dive. Um, what's a really good broadcast to you? Um, when you take a step back, what will you have accomplished? Um, and you can take that any way you want in terms of, you know, educating the viewer or just technically what you want it to sound like. Um, what's really good to you? And I'm sure that probably varies across sports, but. Well, yeah, it's and it's it's a great question because what what you want obviously is something very very clean, so there's not a lot of stumbles on your part, and that you're so in sync with your broadcast partner that you're not stepping on each other. That a good clean show, from the hello, it's great to see everyone again, to the sign off. If that's clean with very few hiccups, and you know you'll have some, that's absolutely critical. No errors on on my part and hopefully on the analyst part either in terms of identifying a player obviously or you know no no stat faux pas you know get their god for god's sake don't mispronounce any names you know those basic little critical parts are crucial um telling stories and knowing when to tell those stories there's there's always time during a game regardless of the sport some more than others to tell those critical stories and when something historical, something of, of compelling nature is happening, to understand, to call it, and then to shut the hell up and, and let the moment carry itself, especially if, you know, last year we're, we're, at, we're in Seattle and uh, Kelsey Plum is, is on the cusp of yeah. dropping 50-plus points on Utah to become the scoring leader all time in NCAA history. To know to 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 know that you've got that moment right, but you better not be two points short, one point short. A tie is one thing, but when she actually eclipses the record, makes her mark, to say it and then to shut the heck up, and let that crowd take over. Those are are critical things that when, that when you go back and watch yourself and watch your broadcast, watch your partner. You, you, your checklist is out, and you hope you hopefully did those things. The most basic stuff, though, Joel, right names, you know, right year. She's not a senior; she's a junior. Um, the stats, right? Clean broadcast from hello to goodbye, and not stepping on your partner. Those things are absolutely critical, along with the storytelling. What was the Kelsey Plum moment like? I, I get the, I'm, right now. I am goosebumps <laughs> head to toe, and I mean scalp all the way down to my ankles. I've got the chills. She needed, um, she needed 50 points, 40 something points, 50 points. Now who does that? So you're probably Come not on. thinking it's going to happen that day. Never, never in a million years. And after the first half, you think, Ooh, 
she's got 20 something. And I remember looking at Elise Woodward, who was my broadcast partner, who is one of the best in the business. And we just, we made sure we had the chart, right. We were, we were counting, you know, you, you, you've got the stat monitor there and we had, uh, you know, a stats person, but we, we were counting it down together. And when you, when you realize that she was 40 plus and was going to touch the ball every time you knew it was just a matter of time because there was plenty of time in that game. It was just a matter of possessions before she was going to make history and you got to call it. I'll never forget that as long as I live. I mean, that's something that's something that was huge across the nation. Yeah. And, and to be a part of that, to call that along with a really treasured broadcast friend and, and partner in Elise was something I'll never forget. It was magical. It was really something else. You know, something else you brought up in all that too, and you've said it a couple of times while we've just been talking here, but um, not stepping on your partner uh, and, and being <laughs> able to, to, to have that good rapport I'm curious because I, I mean, I did a game last night and I worked with somebody for the very first time um, okay. who was who was great. Um, but we it, it it took a while to develop the figuring out of yep. pace. And there were a bunch yep. of times where I kept kicking myself like, ah, um, and it wasn't that it it, it was me. trying. I took it on myself to have to get out fast enough so that when they came in, I was already done. Um, right. But it took a while. Um, what's that feeling out process like for you and how do you do it to figure out how to best um, connect yourselves. Well, you, you said it, it's a feeling out process. And, you know, I, I would recommend to you and myself to not be too hard on ourselves when that's going to happen on occasion, because as you know, you know, it's going to happen with first, second, third, fourth, fifth timers, you, you, it, especially first and second timers. It's and the next time you work with them, it's probably going to happen again, but your awareness is so heightened. Um, and, and, you know, going into the second time with him or her, as I would, okay, Ann, take a deep breath. Remember how this feels. Yeah. And it's only your first or second time. They're excited. There's some nervous energy going on. They don't know when to shut up. You do. So there's that, that, that little, you know, kind of reminder button that you're pushing all the time, you know, that you're going to correct yourself the second time with that person much quicker than you did the first time. And it's always worse in your head than it is to the viewer or to, to your bosses. I guarantee it. But the next time you work with them, it ain't going to happen half as much. Sure. Third or fourth time, it, I mean, you'll watch it just, it'll be like, the, it'll recede until it just doesn't happen again. What's interesting, though, is, and you could, you could tell me what it's like for you when this happens, when you work with one of your favorite analysts, and you guys are rocking and rolling. You're, you're, it's a great game. There's a lot happening. It's compelling. The stars are out. And you, there's tons to talk about. On occasion, because you're both into it, because you both care about what you do, because it's not, okay, my turn, your turn, my turn, your turn. <laughs> on, a, on occasion, it's still going to happen. And, and, and you know that. And... I don't have a problem with that happening once in a while because, you know, at the dinner table, it happens at the, uh, you know, the sports bar, it happens. Um, it, it just, and it's not like you're out shouting 
the other person or you want to get in the last word, once in a while, you kind of step on each other, you giggle, and you move on. Yeah. And, 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 and I don't have a problem with that. It's um, you know, because you're both into it, and it's one of those moments and one of those games. But it's still on you and me. It's still on us to correct course. You and I got to do that, man. We've got to do that, and we've got to be aware of it. That's on us because we're going to captain the ship. So by golly, we've got to make sure it doesn't happen too often. Yeah, the guy I do men's basketball with um, who listens to this podcast all the time. So uh, hi, David, in his car. Um, hi, David, in yeah. your car. <laughs> uh, we, we've, I mean, we've done it so many times together now that it's, we've got like a system, too, where like I, we, we know each other's cadences so well, but also at the yep. same point, like if he knows he's got something – or if I know I've got something, or if, or if like if, if I if I'm like, hey, give me three beats here before you jump in. Like yeah. we've, we've got a pretty good like hand motion signal to each other that is yep. like, hey, yep. I'm I'm coming in here. So yep. that that's worked out on that side. But the the new side of things is the one where it's and it's the feeling out process that's always the the interesting experiment. Yeah, it really is. And and you know, I'll go so far as to with my partners, we'll go so far as to you know kind of touch each other on the arm. Like, I'll touch uh, Elise, and she'll know, pick it up. She'll know I, I, I teed her up. Even if I didn't say her name, I want her to take it from there. With the newbies, a lot of times I will say their name. If they're, so, if they're really scared to talk, I'll say, and isn't that right, Sarah? Or, Sarah, what do you think about better to die? Or, oh, gosh, Sarah, that was just a perfect time for that no-look pass. I might touch her arm, and she'll know to go. Yeah. Um, so little, little teeny, as you mentioned, whether it's a hand signal, I might just touch a wrist or an arm, or I may just kind of with the hand say, you know, it's all yours and, and they'll pick it up from there. And, and that's, that's so, and then, and then after a while, like you said, with, with David, you guys just know it's, you know, I work with so many different people all the time and you do that on occasion too. It's always a roller coaster ride at first and it sure keeps us on our toes, doesn't it? Do you like being able to work with a lot of different people, though? Hmm. Um, there's pros and cons. You know, there's no cons. There's no cons at all. There's pros <laughs> to working with the same person because it's like you and David. You get that rhythm. You get that role. And especially when you like them, it's just woohoo! It's loads of fun. Um, when it's a new person every other time or every time, um, I've really grown to enjoy it. You, you don't have the security in knowing that person, but you get to watch and, and witness, especially if they're, if they're new to the, uh, to the whole profession, you get to watch and witness them coming along right in front of your very eyes. Yeah. And, and the ones that you can tell who really get it, you just can't wait for their, their reps to shine a light on how good they're going to be. So it's, I think it's fun to work with new people or if they're new to the, to the network and have, you know, maybe worked in with different outlets, but they're new to the network. It's fun to, to bring in a different voice and a different uh, mindset and a different point of view. It's okay. I like it. Um, I have two, I kind of want to take two, two branch off subjects um, to, to close it out with you here. And they're, they're different than where we've been so far, so uh, hopefully it's okay if you let me uh, indulge a little bit. Um, go, man. Go. One of them is on the analyst side, uh, and I, I know you've. I mean, I know in college you played basketball and softball, and I know you've done analyst work for both sports. Um, I know you call soccer, uh, and you've done analyst work for soccer. Um, 
have you ever done analyst work for something you didn't play at a high level? Um, and what's it like learning something and being able to to be an analyst for something that you don't necessarily have that same background in? Yeah. Okay. So here's the deal. So I did not play soccer ever. Never played. Oh, well, there we go. Okay. Soccer. Yeah. <laughs> and and I've only I've only done play by play with soccer. I would not. I would really blanch at an analyst role in soccer. Okay. Maybe now I could do it okay, but it would be a disservice to the kids. Um, so I feel good enough about how I've learned the ropes to call a soccer game with a really good analyst. Now, here's what's interesting is the Pac-12 has, in, in, in some sports, including men's and women's soccer, they'll put you up in the booth alone on occasion. Okay. So that's really weird. So then you bring a little bit of an um, – an analyst role to the table along with mainly play-by-play. At this point, having done that sport enough, I feel comfortable enough with the basics. Um, But, you know, playing softball and playing basketball really have, you know, that that has me comfortable. Those sports have me comfortable whether I'm play-by-play or analyst. And I'd feel comfortable with baseball too. Uh, I think the crossover would would be just fine. Gotcha. so other thing, totally separate topic, because um, I, I wanted to ask you about this. I could not not la- ask you about this uh, before I let you go. Um, but I want to ask you about Tanya Harding, if that's okay. <laughs> <laughs> you bet. Uh, because, uh, and this is my own like insecurities, but like I have this great fear of any time I go to a place that's new, particularly yep. a large-scale sporting event, and have this fear of like I, 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 I don't know where I'm supposed to go or like I don't know where my credential is good for. I feel like I'm not supposed to be here. Um, and then I read the nugget that you went to Lillehammer uncredentialed um, Correct. To, per- to pursue the Tanya Harding story. Uh, can you tell me about going to an Olympic Games in another country um, uncredentialed and, and figuring it out on the ground uh, and, and winding up uh, with, with where you wound up? You know, you are the only person who has ever asked me <laughs> about that. And, and it was, you are. And, uh, you know, I, I wish I could give you a big hug because that was... <laughs> an absolute beast of a challenge, as you can imagine. Um, You know, I worked for the CBS affiliate in Portland, Oregon at the time, and CBS had the Olympic Games. And they, you know, they got a hold of us. They got a hold of all of their affiliates way back in, you know, six months before the start of the Games and said, here's your accreditation window and process. Speak now for your piece. It closes this day. Go to the directors, et cetera, and say, hey, let's go to the Olympics. Now, now, let's CBS. And then, boom, the Tanya thing happens. So they, they bring myself and photographer Morris Banks into the, into the news director's office, and they say, with, with great fanfare, you're going to Lillehammer. <laughs> and it was two weeks before the start of the Games. I said, you've got to be kidding. We, we can't get credentials. And they said, well, what do you mean? I said, well, as, as I explained to you four months ago, that window closed. And they said, and I quote, find a way to get in. You'll find a way to get in. As if it were some junior high track meet. <laughs> and, and Morris and I went over there. And we had absolutely nothing but our driver's licenses. Oh, mercy. You know, whatever. Yeah, it was, it was God help us. And we snuck onto buses that would get us to the media center. 
And then when we got to the media center, remember, we're CBS, they're CBS. And they said, no, 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 no. You're not coming in here. And we would beg, beg, beg our way in, sneak our way in, whatever. And then we would get into the building and have nowhere to go, nowhere to edit. Everyone had their own edit bays, their own edit stations, and their own edit equipment. We had nothing. And it was a nightmare. We couldn't get into any of her practices. We didn't have credentials. We certainly couldn't get into any of the uh, short or long form uh, competitions. We had no credentials, and yet, and we would go to the we would go to the <laughs> the skating the practice rink parking lot every day with all the rest of the rogue reporters who didn't have credentials <laughs> either. Hundreds of us minis that had nothing. And at least there was company then. I didn't. Okay. <laughs> I mean, yeah, there was company. I mean, there was company. There were plenty of 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 I guess you know latecomers just like us that thought <laughs> at the end of the day, well, we better get over there. And all the proper accredited folks would go in and look at us like, oh, brother. And we would just be out in that parking lot, freezing our butts off every day. And yet, and yet, Morris and I were the only ones to get an interview with Tanya. We went to a, we went to a different part of the parking lot one day. And she came, she and her driver happened to come in that entrance, the entrance that she had never used before. She saw us, she rolled the window down, and we got an exclusive interview. She, she never talked to anybody inside the practice rink. She never talked to Connie Chung, Dan Rather. She never talked to anyone. And we were the only ones that got the interview with her before the competition without a flipping credential. And let me tell you, when we went back to the media center after that, <laughs> it was our golden ticket. They couldn't wait to let us in. Uh how did things change at that point? Wow, everything changed at that point. We went from the, pardon the expression, redheaded stepchild. <laughs> we were such a pain in everybody's butt. They just looked at us like, oh, my God, you're back again. <laughs> just leave us alone. We went from the just, you know, the outcast uncle to we have the golden ticket, you know, Willy Wonka's golden <laughs> ticket. There it was. We had the one and only interview with Tanya Harding pre-Olympic skate. And from that moment on, I, I'm serious. We were, can we use your, can we use your tape? You can use our, can we use a part of the interview? Can we use this? Can we use that? We'll let you use our equipment. I mean, this is when 60 Minutes was calling us. This is when Rather and Chung wanted to get their hands on it. It was completely crazy. Our whole world there changed. And yet, we still couldn't get a ticket to the competition. We, <laughs> we still could not get in. But we were, we were the ones that brought home the proverbial bacon with that interview. Everything changed after that. Yeah, I mean, people always talk about, you know, you've got to hit your moment when it, when it comes to anything. Yep. Uh, d- I mean, does anything... We didn't quit. I, we, does, did, we just didn't quit. Does anything we change kept... for you professionally after that? I mean, yeah, when you, when you went changed. home, at how, yeah. how, how did that yeah. launch your career maybe? Nah, it didn't launch my career. Oh, I but was so I, that was the wrong way thing. to phrase it. But, you know, but I mean, here's, No, but it did launch a lot of people's career. Okay. No, that's a great question. It really did. I watched a lot of people. That was their meal ticket. And, you know, it was kind of funny. I just wanted to go back to sports. <laughs> I just wanted to go back to telling stories and, 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 and just being a sports broadcaster. It was such a circus. 
but, 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 but it changed everything inside of me as far as personally, probably more than professionally. I, Morris and I never quit on that story. We had every reason. We were set up for failure, absolutely set up for failure. We wouldn't have been making excuses. We had reasons why there was no way in the world we could possibly have succeeded with that assignment. And yet we never quit. Every day we would say to each other, what can we do differently? How can we approach this? There's got to be a way. There's got to be a way. And while we couldn't get her, we would go and, and we did some great stories with other Oregon athletes or at the village or with uh, some of the Norwegian, you know, local flavor, blah, blah, blah. We said, okay, if we can't get Tanya, we still have to do our jobs. But then we kept saying, but how do we get Tanya? How do we, we, we can do this? We've got to think of something differently. We've got to approach it differently. And that, and, and we ended up getting that, that interview, the interview, the interview. And that set me up. I never quit. You know, I, I'd like to have thought I wasn't a quitter. And I mean, just, ah, screw it. You know, there's no way we're going to get her. It, we never, we never went down that road with her. And that taught me everything, you know, and, and, uh, it wasn't that long afterwards. Uh, when, when I remember we, Morris and I, we were covering the blazers and, you know, it, it, we, we, we just, we would come upon situations and you know how this is where it looks impossible and it probably is going to be impossible, but maybe just maybe there's a way around this and there's something you're not thinking of if you just keep plugging. And that was huge for me. It really was. Um, and this has been a lot of fun. Um, if people want to, uh, I don't know, find you on social media or reach out to you that way. Uh, what's, what's the best way to find you on television? Uh, what's the best way to track uh, Ann Schatz down? Well, you know, the, the Pac-12 network is, is where I hang my hat. I, I'm not much of a tweeter, I got to tell you. Uh, <laughs> it's probably you know, for the I, better. Yeah, I think so too. You know, once in a while I'll, I'll hit social media through Instagram or something. But, but if somebody goes to my website and reaches out, I'll always get back to them. Um, you, uh, I got to tell you something here. <laughs> Um, you know, you and I do go, we first met, I want to say 2009, I was going to say almost 10 years ago. Yeah. Okay. 2009, you know, USF women's basketball. And for you, uh, to have taken the time to track me down, to reach out. <laughs> no, it means more to me than you could possibly know. The questions that you asked me make me almost a little misty because they're so they're so well thought out and so well thought of and it, 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 for you to have taken the time to thought of such wonderful questions and for this hour to have flown by the way it did says a lot about, no, says a lot about you. So I, I can't tell you how much I, I appreciate this time with you. That's Ann Schatz joining us here on play by play cast. I just want to say like, and I, and I made this point in the question, there is no way, and I, you know, maybe if I was thrown in that situation, I would feel different. But sitting back now, if you would have told me to go, when I go to a big time event with a credential, I feel uncomfortable. Let alone going to a big time event without a credential. Like I'm not good enough at beg borrowing and dealing or stealing uh, my way into any place. Like I can barely get into a sports venue with, with a ticket. 
Like <laughs> the fact that you can go to the Olympic Games like Ann did, get the interview Ann got, and then obviously, you know, get access to be able to do your job and access to the media center uh, or just like an internet port or like a phone line or a desk um, was was incredible. Um, so to hear that kind of perspective on it was awesome because it just blew my mind thinking about it. If somebody would have told me, go to Lillehammer. Like, it's not like, by the way, you're a Portland television reporter. The Olympics are in Salt Lake. We're going to put you on a plane to Norway. Okay. Great. Do they speak our language there? Like, that. honestly, that's a fair... I don't... Do they speak our language there? I mean, they do, but uh, the most widely language, widely spoken language is, is Norwegian, which I could have seen that coming. Um, Google tells me it's also a North Germanic language closely related to Swedish and Danish, um, all linguistic descendants of the Old Norse, so that makes sense. Uh, Norwegian is 95% first language in Norway, so there you go. Knowledge all around. Um, but I feel like in most European countries, a lot of people speak English, too, uh, because... They're good like that. Uh, anyway, we have gotten way off track. Uh, many thanks to Ann Schatz for joining us uh, again this week. Uh, awesome time being able to reconnect with her on the phone and, uh, and pick her brain a little bit. And uh, I got a lot from it. Hopefully you guys did as well. Uh, to the NBA next week, Eric Reed of the Miami Heat will join us. One of the Heat originals. One of the uh, very few left that has been with the Miami Heat ever since the franchise began. So uh, Eric Reed is with us as our guest next week here on Play by Play Cast. Uh, until then, we say so long and hit it, Marshmallow.